You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad. And uh, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to chat with an Irish author. And I'm not going to tell you for a moment who, but the opening sentence in the book that we talked about then was all three of the Drum brothers were at the funeral, although one of us was in a coffin. Now, that's a hell of an opening line. So we're moving on to the current book, which has just been awarded the Irish Independent Fiction of the Year Award at the On Post Awards in Dublin. And it says, put me out with the bins, he said regularly. When I die, put me out with the bins. I'll be dead, so I won't know any different. You'll be crying your eyes out. And he would laugh. And I'd laugh too because we both knew I wouldn't be crying my eyes out. I never cry. When the time came on Wednesday, 29th of November, 2017, I followed his instructions. He was small and frail and 82 years old by then, so it was easy to get him into one large garden waste bag. <laughs> this Nugent, welcome. Thank you so much. Come and have a chat. Thank you. Yeah, that's how that's how I open uh, the new book, Strange Sally Diamond. And um, it it came to me over the kind of conversations that I have with my husband. Like we have these conversations about <laughs> who's going to die first and everything. And he wanted like his idea for like what he wants is he wants his ashes scattered among the 12 bends of Connemara, which are a mountain range of 12 mountains. And I was thinking, well, with the way things are going, like the chances are that I could live well into my 80s. And if you go first, you're expecting 80-year-old me to go up 12 mountains to scatter your ashes. (laughs) So I said, well, I'm going to be unselfish and say, Put me out with the bins, and that's how it all started. It was one of those jokey <laughs> conversations. Where, and then I started thinking, God, imagine if a body was put out with the bins. And then I thought, what kind of person would do that? And then, you know, Sally gradually revealed herself to me uh, as the kind of person who would take that instruction literally if somebody said it to her. Now, that in itself is relatively, I won't quite say innocent. But you've just been awarded a crime novel, crime writer award. Yeah. You know, putting a body out with the garbage when someone has just died of natural causes, yes, is a crime. But, you know, I, it, there's there's no book around that particular crime. So you have to weave it from there. Yes. Um the 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 fact about Sally is that this father who she has put out with the bins um performed a home cremation on uh she she's uh a little sort of neurodivergent i guess she has she's adopted she's always known she is adopted she has no curiosity about finding her birth family she accepts whatever she is told whatever she is given she accepts her lot she's very antisocial and um her first memory is of her seventh birthday so she remembers nothing before that but it's only after this uh terrible mistake that she makes with her father's body that she comes to the attention of her community and then of course 
of the police, the guards, and then uh, the national media, because she quickly discovers that she was the victim of a really horrific crime when she was a very young child. She and her mother, her birth mother, were the victims of a really horrific crime. But in some ways, it doesn't bother Sally as much as it bothers other people because Sally doesn't remember it. So as far as she's concerned, it's happened to a different person because she doesn't remember it. Mm -hmm. And the reason she doesn't remember it is because her adoptive father, who is a psychiatrist, drugged her to the extent that he was able to wipe all of her memories. So for almost the first two years of her adoption, she was heavily, heavily medicated. I don't know how, I, like, I just made that up. So I don't know how, 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 you know, I, I, and we're talking about the early 1980s. So I don't know whether that would have been ethically possible or ethically responsible. But I was just thinking if I was a psychiatrist and I had the opportunity to take away trauma from a very small child, would I do it? And I thought I probably would. Mm-hmm. So that's what the psychiatrist do. Mm-hmm. And as the story unfolds, um, you mentioned early on, and I know we've you and I chatted about this with your previous book as well. You say Sally revealed herself to you. And I always love this when I talk to someone who's writing, because how a character can reveal themselves to you as a writer is just so fascinating. Yeah, I think um, I had in my mind ever since I was kind of maybe 13 or 14 years old, the first time I read To Kill a Mockingbird, Boo Radley stuck in my mind. This reclusive character who, you know, never came out of the house except maybe at night to leave little treats in the hollow of a tree for the local children. And I kind of thought, who are Like, And he also has a, a brother who comes and goes from the house and lives a very normal life, but Boo never comes out of the house. And I thought, that's, you know, like why are two siblings who grow up in the same circumstances in the same house behaving so differently? And I wanted to have two siblings behave radically differently and it's because of the way they are treated by their parent so yeah that was kind of i i've lost the thread of the question now you'll have to forgive me i was how how a character revealed themselves to you yeah so i had i had boo radley in my head and so i wanted the, the sally to be a reclusive character i wanted her to be a little bit odd like the girls in my school were long before we had labels. We didn't, hadn't heard the word autism when I was growing up or Asperger's or anything like that. And Sally isn't any of those things, actually. She hasn't had any of those diagnoses because her psychiatrist's father has said to her, you know, oh, I have spent my whole life studying you. And he has from the age of her adoption at age five or six, right up until um, when we meet her in her early 40s and he has made it his life's work to study her and to write papers on her and all that kind of stuff and he has not been able to fit her into um, a diagnosis because her 
behavior is inconsistent. So I wanted the freedom for her to behave inconsistently. So I didn't, I couldn't put a label on her. And also, I'm not a psychiatrist or or a, a psychologist. So I didn't want to paint myself into a corner with a character who, I, you know, could behave one way in some circumstances and then behave the opposite way in other circumstances. And as the story uh, unfolds, um, before we started recording, we talked about how fiction um, is is very much a reflection on reality, even though it is defined as fiction. And that uh, you commented how men tend to be more interested in nonfiction than fiction because they don't believe fiction to be true. Um, <laughs> well, that, um, I, have to, I have to point out that it, that was Elizabeth Strout who right. came up brilliant Elizabeth Strout so somebody asked her at a festival I was at they said you know why do you think women men don't read fiction and she said because they think it's not true but of course fiction is all based on some reality unless it's science fiction or fantasy but generally right. Fiction is all based on something that has happened or that might happen or, you know, that that is possible, you know. So that's where we go with with our story. Because, you know, I was given a book uh, to read by a friend of mine and it was to deal with Belfast and it was dealing with uh, the period of the Troubles. And I was unable to read beyond a certain few pages, even though it was fiction. Because it it was so disturbing to me because I could feel the reality of it. Yeah, the tension and the... And just the cruelty. There was yeah. the, 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 the violence and the cruelty that was being yeah. written about. Um, so I, I certainly don't believe fiction to be... An, I, I believe fiction to be a mask for the ability to shine the light on reality in many it's cases. It's a great way. It's a great way to, to highlight kind of social injustices. And, you know, you find a lot of the really good crime writers do that, that we we use crime fiction to highlight certain issues that are being brushed under the carpet or certain issues. Um, you know, I, I, in, I think in all my books, I've had a go at kind of misogyny in, in all its forms. And the, this one in in particular, I suppose. But um, yeah, um, things that I feel strongly about, you know, they they creep they creep into my books, whether I, you know, I plan them or not. And of course, I don't really plan any of my books. They they start and I start them, and and then, you know, as I say, the characters do reveal themselves to me, and you know, some shout louder than others, and uh, some become more prominent than others. What I found fascinating as you brought the story to a conclusion <laughs> that um, there was no conclusion in that there are um, very much unanswered questions in well, that the characters we don't they they go on with their lives without the ends being neatly tied up. Oh, yeah, I think that there is a conclusion, but it, yeah, there is a conclusion. It's not a, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not like the book stops. Mm-hmm. The, the book, I suppose it tails off mm-hmm. and you are left with one character, uh, who has a little bit of hope, um, for recovering mm-hmm. from, from 
uh, interference from the outside world, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And we have one character who seems to be going in the direction of his father, which mm-hmm. was a, a very dark story. And so, yeah, I, I the, the books I like are not tied up in the bows at the end. Mm-hmm. So I, I love like a proper Shakespearean tragedy where the battlefield is strewn with corpses. That's the kind of ending I like in a book, <laughs> you know. So I don't exactly do that, but only because my American and Canadian editors asked me not to. Okay. Because actually in the in the Ireland and UK version, you don't get that letter at the end. Okay. It gives you a little hope for one of the characters. Okay. So the the Ireland and UK uh, ending is much more devastating than the one you guys get to read. Okay. Well, on that, when I should say, when we get to read, I will have to say, we could not walk into, uh, and I, I will mention Shopper's Drug Mart, because that was where we would go down uh, regularly. And here, prominent everywhere was, Liz Nugent and Strange oh, Sally Time. Oh, it was yeah, you were certainly out there on the shelves and it was wonderful and it makes me proud always when I see something like that as well. Oh, thank uh, you. So so this um it wasn't you didn't have to go looking. That was the great thing. You didn't have to go looking and that's an indication as well of how well after uh, little cruelties you had established yourself in the North American side. Um, speaking of, you have been to Canada. I have. And you've enjoyed your trips. I I was in Canada two weeks, three weeks ago. I went to the Calgary Word Fest and I went to the Vancouver Writers Festival. And I've been to those two festivals before in 2018. But my history with Canada goes much further back to the years 1998 and 1999, when I was a touring stage manager with Riverdance. And I went uh, to Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Winnipeg, Regina, Ottawa. I don't think we went anywhere in the middle, although I don't think there is much in the middle. Um, Didn't go to Toronto on that tour. We played the smaller cities, really, um, apart from Vancouver is huge. But um, I can't remember. Is there any other? Did I say Winnipeg? You did, and you did Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. you made made it as far as Ottawa. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, we made it as far as Ottawa on, on the eastern side. But, um, yeah, so I saw, um, a lot of Canada and, you know, Canadians live up to their reputation and how polite and nice they are and how, um, how their worldview is much more, much wider than that south of the border. And, uh, yeah, I'm always very, very comfortable in Canada and always made to feel incredibly welcome for which I'm very grateful. Liz, what time of the year was it when you were on that tour? Hopefully it wasn't the winter. Um, it it was the winter. The, when I was in, we, our first stop in, in Canada was Vancouver and we were there for two months because we were training in the show. We were opening the show in Vancouver. This was the third Riverdance tour. That There was an A tour and a B tour 
already like playing stadiums and arenas and we were really playing the smaller venues, the theatres and we were playing in the Ford Centre, which I believe is no more in Vancouver. And uh, so, yeah, it was winter because I remember at the time I was a smoker back then and, you know, how I didn't get pneumonia or lung cancer from smoking outside in the freezing cold, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it it, it was... Um, it was a, 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 a it was a cold winter, and I remember by the time we got to Edmonton, it was around the time because we had done all of the other cities. But by by the time we got to Edmonton, it was around the time that the the um, the something breaks that the river is iced over, and when the oh, ice, right. breaks, there's a term for that. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, well, I know in Ottawa they they use dyna- they actually blow the ice they explode the ice so as not to cause. Um, oh, but I think flooding. in Edmonton it's a it's a natural thing. It's like yeah. when spring comes, the the ice breaks and the and the river starts to flow again or whatever. Yeah. That was uh, supposed to happen around the time we were there, but it didn't. Right. So it's like I was in Iceland last week waiting for the Northern Lights, but I could never stay awake long enough to see them. Although they did appear. But, uh, yeah, after I'd gone to bed, unfortunately. And Liz, are you scheduled to come back to Canada any time in the near future? Uh, not in the immediate future. No. Right, right. No. And I won't have another book out until 2026. So, um, yeah, I think I'm not going to be, definitely not going to be back in Canada before that. So this book that's coming in 2026, have you met the characters in it? <laughs> I, I know who she is. And I know her first line. And I know, Roughly her backstory, and okay. I have most. I have the bones of it in my head, but I haven't actually written much of it down yet, which is very remiss of me. Right. But I've had an incredibly busy year with touring yeah. with this book. I mean, I've been backwards and forwards to the UK, I think eight times, and I've been to Iceland, and I've been to the Hamptons, who done it, which is a very posh festival. In uh, in Long Island, in you know New York State, and I've been to well next week I'm going to Bulgaria, um to promote Sally Diamond. I'm, they're launching it there. I, apparently, I'm very big in Bulgaria, and I'm very big. Although I wasn't in India, but the book has really taken off in India because there's a a 90s Bollywood actress called Sonali Bendre who has really championed the book. And because of that, she's like the Oprah Winfrey of India. Right. And because of that, everybody in India is talking about my book. Exactly. So maybe I'll get maybe I'll get to India on a book tour in the next year or two. That would be nice. Um, switching gears, um, how your health, and I know you were uh, recently discussing this, your dystonia. Uh, mm-hmm. you, have, you have a procedure coming up or has it happened? I do. I On the 6th of December... I'm well on the third of December I'm going to London, but on the sixth of December I'm having um minor brain surgery. It's called deep brain stimulation. It's mostly used for Parkinson's patients, in fact, mm-hmm. um to control the tremors. But I have a condition called dystonia, which causes not tremors exactly, but spasms in my right arm and my right leg. And they're gonna give this a go. Um it's kind of an unusual treatment for somebody who has acquired dystonia. Most people are born with it, but I have it as a result of 
falling down the stairs and landing on my head. I had a brain hemorrhage when I was seven years old. So now I'm 56 years old and, you know, 50 years later, medical science has caught up and may be able to help me. There's no guarantees that it will work, but I, you know, I like to be optimistic. So Indeed. hopefully things will change because, you know, I there are things like I write, I type all my books with one hand, with my left hand. I can't really use my right hand for much. I walk with quite a heavy limp. Um, I've never been able to play a musical instrument and, you know, simple things like shaking hands, you know, when somebody offers you their right hand, I always just grab, put my left hand over my right hand and do the shaking with my left hand because I can't really, I don't know how obvious that is to people, so I'm quite self-conscious about that. Um, Most of the things I was self-conscious about, you know, I grew out of, you know, you're Mm. terribly self-conscious when... Mm -hmm. You're a youngster when you're a teenager and in your early 20s. And then when you get to your 30s and 40s and now in my 50s, I don't really care what people think Mm -hmm. about how I walk or how I write or, you know, and uh, people accept you as you are. And, you know, I'm in a much uh, more stable and self-confident place than I would have been. You know, I would have been, you know, bullied a little bit in school about it and stuff like that but you know it gave me a great perspective as an outsider and a great um a great help to my writing to be an mm-hmm. outsider to be an observer of human nature rather than participating in the uh in the bullying i was able to watch it and watch how other people reacted to it and how other people played it and also to be on the outside with the other people who were a bit odd, like mm-hmm. Sally Diamond in the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and it is great when you can get to that stage in your life where you recognize that um, those who do not accept you for who you are, you're as well off without them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You just, you just, you stop caring about what people think. Uh, it's incredibly liberating. So, yeah, I'm glad to be at that stage now. Liz, I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been wonderful chatting with you. The book is Strange Sally Diamond. You'll find it very easily if you check on the bookshelves anywhere across Canada. You can go into, say, Shoppers Drug Mart and it'll be staring you in the face. And I know it'll probably be in Chapters and all the other ones as well. Uh, Well worth picking up. I'm glad we didn't do any spoilers because every page is a page turner right up to the last page. And... um, surprises around every corner and thanks a million Liz it's been great chatting with you thank you so much Austin lovely talking to you again take care